0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Dublin in Ireland and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Johan N, Audrey N, Sue L and Nancy J. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study, however the question and answer session which follows, that will not be recorded. And we'll put a link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function, and we ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study, and also please turn off your video if you're exercising, eating, driving or if you need to step away from the screen for any reason please please do disconnect your camera. So now we turn over the meeting to Harlan G in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning, Harlan.
1: Good morning, Maria. Thank you very, very much and thanks for your service and thank you to everybody who does service to make this possible. Uh, There's just a lot more than just me on here. There's people that do the website, there's people that do the recordings, There's people that do an awful lot of service on here to make this what it is. And I'm very, very grateful to each and every one of you. Before we get started here, uh, I just want to tell you how, uh, how fortunate I feel to be back in my house the last couple of weeks. I've been doing this over the phone from Nashville, Tennessee, and Chicago. I'll be back in Chicago. I'll be home in about three weeks. I'm going to a wedding. Uh, But I'm just so glad to be back here in Scottsdale right now, I can't tell you. Uh, One of the nice things about going away is coming back. And it's just nice to be in front of a computer instead of a little phone. And the reunion, uh, I'll just give you a recap. It was full of miracles, just full of the most beautiful miracles imaginable. Uh, The number one being that I'm still alive after 50 years, after graduating high school 50 years ago, I'm still alive. Uh, I was able, when we toured the school, they gave us an opportunity to walk through the school. And my, my, in 50 years, some things are remarkably different. And in 50 years, some things are not different at all. Uh, it's, It's just very strange to walk through there. But I was not only able to walk, I was able to stand and I was able to do the things that everyone else could do. And when I was walking the halls of my school, Mather High School in Chicago, I was thinking that the last time I walked these halls as a student, I was 105 pounds heavier than I was that day when I walked through the school, 105 pounds heavier. So I was very, very grateful for that. And uh, I got t-shirts and shorts and things from the bookstore like everyone did. I mean, everybody was grabbing and buying and I mean, we were just buying up stuff like left and right. And I was able to buy things there just like everyone else. And if there's two things, that a fat boy, or three things that a fat boy fears more than anything. It's A, talking to girls, B, buying clothes, and C, going to the doctor in no particular order. These are the three scariest things that fat boys have to do. Go to the doctor, buy clothes, or talk to girls. Um, But these these were things that I was able to do just like everyone else. And then on the way back here to Arizona, Uh, my flight got canceled. And so I went from a first class ticket to a coach ticket, but that's not where it stops. I had to sit in the middle and I was a little scared about the middle seat. And I got my courage. I screwed it to the post and I sat down and not only did I fit, I was fine. I was sitting in the middle and I was fine. I was so happy to be sitting in the middle. And I know that sounds crazy. Why would anybody be happy about sitting in the middle? And I was thrilled because I fit. You know what, just for snicks and giggles, I might just pick a middle seat the next time I go anywhere. I might just pick one, just to to show myself that it isn't as terrible as it sounds. And that if you're if you're in your program, if you're on your program, it's not certainly the worst thing that could ever happen to a person. I'm so grateful to have been there. I'm so glad, glad, glad to be back here in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it is just breathtaking today. I hope it's as breathtaking where you are. Um, I am. We're going to start on page 58. When we get started here, we're going to start on page 58 and we're going to begin the chapter How It Works. And the chapter How It Works was a chapter that Bill lamented about writing for a, quite some time because he knew that ultimately the program of action had to be codified. And you had Mayo and he wanted a christian book he wanted a book that was very very christian in nature and then you had hank parkhurst and you had jimmy burwell more hank than anybody else and hank wanted no mention of god at all whatsoever he thought that the god that the book should be devoid of mention of god and in the chapter that that hank parkhurst wrote to employers That is the only chapter in the book where the word God, the notion of God, does not appear. There is no mention of God in the chapter to employers. And that's the chapter, as I say, that Hank wrote. So what was Bill to do? He had all these people pressuring him. Uh, Fitz wanted a Christian book. Uh, Hank wanted a book devoid of of any Christianity, of devoid of any mention of God, Jimmy Burwell was is in favor of a book that does not mention God. What what's a fella to do? Well, it was um, not long before the big book was actually printed. Chapter five, six, and eleven were the last chapters written. Everything else, except for the doctor's opinion, was in the was in the book was in the rack. And uh he sat down on his bed in at in Brooklyn at 182 Clinton Street. It was late at night. Bill was rather nocturnal at this point in his life in 1938. This was autumn. This was around September of 38. And the big book would be printed on April 9th, 1939. And he's laying in bed with a legal pad, a yellow legal pad, and a pencil. And He said it was almost as if the pencil had developed a life of its own. It just raced across the page. And as it raced across the page, chapter five was written almost autonomously. And he never set out to write 12 steps. He never set out for any number of steps. What he wanted to do, He wanted to close some of the loopholes that these alcoholics were jumping through in the six step program that was in place. And the six step program was based on the absolutes of the Oxford group movement. Absolute love, absolute honesty, absolute purity, and absolute unselfishness. But when he saw that he wrote 12 steps, He was pleased. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of Jesus. 12 is a very significant number in Christianity. The Judeo Christian ethic is full of 12s. And he was very satisfied about the fact that he had come up with 12 steps. But before we get to the steps, let's take a look at some other things that influenced this and that were sort of behind it. Obviously we have the Oxford Group Movement and obviously their six step program was what was being bandied bandied about as the operational program at that time. They were going through a period of time when a lot of it was getting garbled by word of mouth. And that was the reason primarily that Bill pushed so hard to write a book. There was actually three things he wanted to do, but only one of them came to fruition. He wanted to uh, start a chain of hospitals throughout the country for the treatment of alcoholics. And Dr. Bob was going to be in charge of the hospitals. He wanted to start a chain of paid missionaries to go about the country preaching The gospel of AA, and he was going to be the head of the missionaries. And then he wanted to write a book. But because the money had dried up, the Rockefellers would not give money for these projects. And so Rockefeller said, Money will spoil this thing. And Bill was very, very disappointed when Rockefeller said that, because he was hoping that Rockefeller would give him a bunch of money so that they could move forward on the hospitals and the missionaries and the book. And um, that never came to fruition, but the book idea did. The Akron people did not really support the book. They thought it was just sort of a money-making scheme for Hank and Bill. You also have to remember too that Um, Akron was very conservative. They were very, very religious. They didn't break from the Oxford group until 39. And Bill pulled the groups out of the New York Oxford group movement in 37. But the Akron people were not crazy about this idea of a book. What they were suspicious of is that this would be another money-making scheme for Hank and Bill. Remember at that time, too, Dr. Bob was not yet recognized as a co Co-founder, There was no co-founder at that time. Dr. Bob was not really recognized as a co-founder in anything written until the mid-40s, around 47, 46 or 47. Bill was the founder, and that's where it ended. If there was a co-founder at that time, it would have been Hank Parkhurst for sure. He was more Bill's right-hand man than Dr. Bob, and he had a lot more to do with the publication, writing, and printing of this book than Dr. Bob by far, by far. The only reason Hank Parkhurst is not the co-founder is in September of 39, Hank got drunk and he stayed drunk throughout most of the rest of his life. He became disenchanted and he he got drunk uh, just uh, five months after the big book was printed. He was drinking again out in New Jersey. But uh, Dr. Bob tried to push the Akron people to vote for the book and they barely, barely voted for the book, but there was a lot of reluctance. There was a lot of reluctance. Um, you had Alcoholics Number Three, uh, Bill Dotson would not even submit his story to the book. He would not submit his story. Earl Treat who founded OA in Chicago, uh, AA in Chicago would not submit their story. They thought that they were submitting uh, work to a fundraiser for Bill and Hank. And they said, nothing doing, absolutely nothing. We're not gonna submit our story. So the development of the book and the development of these steps is very, very much a part of our history. And they are as much a part of our history as anything could possibly be. But these these steps, before we get to the steps, we're going to take a look at some things that influenced what we're going to read. We're going to talk about the Oxford Group Six-Step Movement, maybe not today, maybe not right this second, but we eventually will. But what I want to remind you of, or I want to engage you in before we get to anything is the heavy influence of a guy that we haven't really talked about. And his name was Reverend Sam Shoemaker. Reverend Sam Shoemaker was an Episcopalian minister who became the point man for the Oxford group movement in New York City. The the man uh, held court at the Cavalry Mission in New York. And Sam Shoemaker and Bill Wilson were dear, dear friends. And Sam Shoemaker was introduced by Bill many times as a co-founder of AA. Bill loved Sam and he loved Sam's teachings. And Sam would teach the boys and he wrote in a book Sam Sam Shoemaker wrote a poem called, I Stand By The Door. And I, I don't, I, I'm not gonna read the poem now. I don't have a copy of it handy, but he wrote a book called, I Stand By The Door. And this influenced Bill too. But what we're really talking about here is a book written by Sam Shoemaker and it's called Twice Born Ministers. Twice Born Ministers on page 92 of twice-born ministers, talks about something Sam spoke of often. And what we're talking about are the four impediments. Now, what is an impediment? An impediment is something that slows or stops progress. An impediment might be a speed bump or an impediment might be a wall or some other form of dead end, but an impediment is something which slows or stops progress. So the four impediments we can see through the formation of our steps. The first impediment that will block a person from getting to God because Sam and Bill understood that in order for a person to recover from alcoholism, and I'm going to use alcoholism because it's more accurate to their conversation than compulsive overeating, and because Bill was not a compulsive overeater, for this part of my conversation this morning, I'm going to use alcohol and alcoholism because I want to be accurate in my accounting of this. But in order for a person to recover from alcoholism, you have to be free of any impediments between where you are and where God is. And the first of these impediments is a resentment that you will not let go of. And you can see that that translates out into our step four. We deal with resentments in 10. We deal with resentments in 11, but primarily speaking, we're talking about step four. So the first of the impediments is a resentment that you will not let go of. Now, I may feel justified in holding on to a resentment against Nazis, or I may feel, I may feel justified in holding resentments to people who enabled or owned slaves. Or, or maybe I have a resentment against certain, whatever it is. But if I hold on to these resentments, I'm not going to get to God. I have an impediment in front of me that is gonna stop or slow my progress. And the last thing I want is to be stopped or slowed in my quest for a spiritual awakening. So a resentment that you will not let go of is the first of the impediments, and we can see it so plainly in step four, reinforced in 10 and 11. The second of the the impediments is a secret that I will not tell, which we translate into step five, step five. So does that mean I have to come on the big book study this morning and tell everybody now, here's my bank account number and here's my passcode. No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is I am completely forthcoming with somebody step five about the resentments, fears, and sexual harms done others so that I can purge these things from me and continue on my journey toward a spiritual awakening. So resentment you will not let go of, a secret you will not tell are steps four and five. And we see the confession of these things in 10. In 10, it says, we discuss this with somebody immediately. So in 10, we have the same thing reinforced. And when the big book wants to teach me something, it does not do it once, it does it repeatedly. And this is called spiraling the information. The truest form of teaching is repetition. And the big book is masterful at repeating things so that I will eventually learn them. Very, very important. Now, the third of the impediments is a harmful thrill that I will not stop. Lying, gossiping, cheating, and those center in our steps six and seven. If I want to be rid of my defects, and the defects again are selfish, self-seeking, uh, dishonesty, fear, resentment, anger those are the those are the defects of character. If I want to be rid of these defects of character, I cannot continue living the way I was living. I have to amend my behavior. I can't keep lying and not feel that fear of getting caught. I cannot keep cheating on my income tax without the guilt, the shame, the remorse, and the fear of getting caught. So if I want to live differently, I have to do differently. And a harmful thrill that I will not stop translates into steps six and seven. Now, a last of these impediments, because there's four, the last of these resentments is a restitution that I will not make. Now, amends is AA language. Restitution means the same kind of thing, but restitution is Oxford group language. The Oxford groupers didn't run around saying, I'm going to make amends. They said, we're going to make restitution, which means basically the same thing. So again, just to review the four impediments to God are, A resentment that you will not let go of. Two, a secret that you will not tell. Three, a harmful thrill that you will not stop. And four, a restitution that you will not make. Those are the four impediments, and you see them interwoven into steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and a little in 11. So these are very influential things. These are things that Bill was pulling from when he wrote this chapter with the steps. So with that in mind, let's take a look at page 58. And let's take a look at some of the things that we're gonna notice here, the first of which is going to be the absolute language that Bill uses. He doesn't use any type of ambiguities here. Everything here is going to be very direct, very, very straightforward language. Now let's take a look at page 58 and let's get started here. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Now, there's an urban myth that is not verifiable in any language, any writings, anything that we can verify, and the urban myth is he was interviewed and he said, if there's one word I would change in the book, I would change rarely to never. I have to think that Bill knew the English language. Bill is the guy right behind me saying, just shut up and get in the car. I think there's a swear word in there that might begin with, well, I won't say it, but there's a swear word there that says, get in the you know what car. And there's also should be a line, not just get in the car, get in the car and shut up. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Not until you're sober for a while, just get in the car and shut up. But that's the guy right behind me, always smoking a cigarette, died of emphysema. But that's Bill Wilson, the primary author of the book. Now, he knew the language and he knew the mentality of the alcoholic that we are immature, sensitive rebels. We are immature, sensitive rebels. So if he put never some yo-yo out in God knows where would say, oh, yeah, I'll show you, I'll thoroughly follow the path and then I'll go drink. He knew the mentality. He knew what he was dealing with, that we are immature sensitive rebels. We're also very sensitive. So we are sensitive, immature rebels, immature, sensitive rebels. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. I've never seen anyone fail who thoroughly followed our path. Not one time. I'm here almost half a century. I'm here 43 years on February 2nd next year, I'll be here 44 years. And if I make it to December 29th this year, I'll have 24 years of abstinence. I hope I make it. I don't know. We'll see. Let's just get through today first. Okay. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves To this simple program. And when he says give themselves to this simple program, he means all the way. This has to be the number one thing in my life without exception. There's job or no job, wife or no wife. You simply do not recover if you put other things before God. Yes, I would like more money. Yes, I would like. Whatever, you know, whatever that might be for whoever. But this has to be the numeral uno thing in my life without exception. And when I put things before my recovery, I lose those things about a hundred percent of the time. If I put the quest for money before my recovery, I lose that opportunity. If I put the quest for A female relationship or sex, whatever that is, I lose that opportunity. This has to be the number one thing in my life without exception. Now, in the last chapter that we covered, when we first started that chapter, we read the words the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, if that's the main object of this book, well, it damn well better be the main object of my life. And so, the main object of my life is not to make as much money as I can. It's not to, you know, be in whatever situation with females, whatever that is. The main object of my life is to search for that relationship with a higher power. And how do I do that? Through service and self sacrifice for others, like it says on the bottom of page 14. It says who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. It doesn't say almost completely or a lot of you. It says completely. And that means I'm all in or I'm all out. Put a pin in that thought because we're going to go back to that a number of times not only this morning we're going to be going back to that ideal that that idea that i'm either in or i'm not in we're going to keep going back to that idea usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves what do i need to be honest about now i know That the reaction of you right now listening to my voice is that you are thinking that I need to be honest about everything. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But the reason I said you're not right is because that's not what he's referring to. He has just spent four chapters of this book, five chapters of this book, the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there is a solution more about alcoholism, and we agnostics. And in these five chapters, now Bill didn't write the doctor's opinion, but I'm counting that. Between Silkworth and Bill Wilson, if you, and I'm gonna stay with alcoholic language here, I'm not gonna substitute compulsive overeating yet. If you haven't convinced yourself through the readings by definition and the stories and the vignettes that you are an alcoholic, then I don't know what to tell you because what he is saying is you have to be honest with yourself about your condition, that you are an alcoholic. Why do you think it is? Now, all of you have done it. You may not know why I'm about to tell you why. Why do you think when I share at a meeting, I say, I'm Harlan G. I'm an, I am a compulsive overeater and I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Is that so important for you to know? What do you care? Why do you care that I'm a compulsive overeater? Why do I say that over and over and over again? The reason that we say that is not so that you will know I'm a compulsive overeater. It's so that my brain hears my voice telling myself that I'm a compulsive overeater. And we have people, and I'm not criticizing this, but I'm a sugar addict, I'm a, I'm a, a emotional eater, I'm a this, I'm a that. If you said you're a compulsive overeater, you've said it all, you've said it all. Because a compulsive overeater eats sugar, a compulsive overeater is an emotional eater, a compulsive overeater does all these things, all these things, all the above. But the reason that I say that, hi, I'm Harlan, and I'm a compulsive overeater and I live in God knows where, is so my ears and my brain and my ego will hear myself say that I am a compulsive overeater. Now the ego says three things. And I've repeated this in here a lot, but let's go over them. Number one, I must be right. Now, alcoholics don't normally get in trouble making mistakes because everybody makes mistakes. Alcoholics get in trouble defending those mistakes even when they know they're wrong. They will defend those mistakes and try to convince the world that two and two is 7.42 when we know two and two is four. And the alcoholic is out there trying to convince the world that two and two is really 9.47 when we know it's four. You see this every day. I've done that. I can eat chocolate and still lose weight. No, you can't. No, Harlan, you've never done that. No, no, this time it's gonna be okay. I parked three parking spaces further away from the door than I normally do. So I can eat seven Twix bars and 14 Butterfinger bars. No, you can't, Harlan. If you parked in Japan and walked to this store, you can't do that. That doesn't work for you. Once your physical allergy is triggered, you're gonna be spending $150 a day on Twix bars and butterfingers, and Doritos, and chips, and other chips, I mean, and fries, and all this other crap. That has never worked for you. We have no reason to believe that it ever will. So the ego says, make me right, make me different from everybody else, make me feel good right now. Clancy Immislin, one of my heroes, Clancy used to say, every alcoholic that goes to God, after he's been to meetings and he's read the book and he goes to God drunk, God says, I sent you a book, I sent you a meeting, I sent you a sponsor. What happened? And the alcoholic will undoubtedly tell God, You don't understand, God. My case is different. And we have this terminal uniqueness that is born out of the demonic destructive ego. And this terminal uniqueness is one of the fatal parts of this disease, that we will die. We will die rather than submit to being just like everyone else. See, we wanna be the same as the wrong crowd. We don't wanna be the same as the OA people or the AA people, we want to be the same as the people out there, and we're not the same as the people out there. We are the same as these people here, but we just can't admit it a lot of the times because of this destructive demonic ego and its tempestuous desire to make me feel either better than you or worse than you but not equal to you and I will compare and despair. when I first came into this program, I was about 500 pounds. I was 24 years old. I was about 500 pounds and I was I was 30 years younger than anybody in that room. And I was hundreds of pounds heavier than anybody in that room. And I was dead broke financially. My mother and father were dead. I didn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. I had nothing. And I was resisting this program. And to this day, I still don't know why other than fear and massive, massive ego, massive ego. Now, we said that the ego wants us right and the ego wants us different. What else does the ego tell us? We need to feel good right now. And that's why it's okay for me to eat Reese's peanut butter cups. That's why it's okay for me to eat Hostess Twinkies. That's why it's okay for me to jam donuts in my mouth because I need to feel good right now. And I don't give a damn about tomorrow. Besides, tomorrow, I tell myself, that's when I'm going to be okay. I'll be sober tomorrow. I'll be abstinent tomorrow. But for today, I'm just going to do what I do. It's Saturday. And on Saturday, I had my threesome. And my threesome is me, little Debbie, and Sarah Lee. Every once in a while, if we were in a particularly randy mood, we would invite Ben and Jerry. Well, we would talk it over and sometimes we would invite Ben and Jerry and sometimes we would invite Colonel Sanders. But more often than not, we just kept it to the three of us, me, Little Debbie and Sarah Lee. And every once in a great while, we would also invite Ronald McDonald. But he was a clown and he he didn't really add much to the festivities for very long. We just sort of kept it to our threesome. But every once in a while, as I say, we would invite Ben and Jerry or we would invite Colonel Sanders. All right, now, there are such unfortunates, they are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. Born what way? With an absolute inability or absolute ego-driven madness reluctance to surrender. We have a friend, all of us in West Newton, Massachusetts, And I will go on there and say, recover, recover, recover. But she likes to say, surrender, surrender, surrender. And they're both equally interchangeable, they're fine. Surrender, the war is over, surrender. And we just want to keep in there and hang in there with our bottle or with our food. Surrender, surrender, surrender. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. If I am honest with myself, then I know at the core of my soul, based on the information that Dr. Silkworth gives me, based on the information in Bill's story, based on the information in there is a solution based on the information in the chapter more about alcoholism and based on the information in the chapter we agnostics, I have now come to an intelligent decision that I am a compulsive overeater alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Do I relate to the way Bill drinks? Yes. Do I relate to the way Bill thinks? Yes. Backing up, do I I forgot Dr. Silkworth, Do I relate to to Dr. Silkworth's description of the alcoholic? Do I seem to have this physical allergy? You bet your bottom that I do. Do I seem to have this mental twist? You bet your bottom that I do, and I've had it from the moment I was born. Dr. Silkworth's description is not good. It's perfect. Without Dr. Silkworth, we don't have a program. There's no book, it wouldn't make any sense. There's no program, it wouldn't make any sense. But Dr. Silkworth, teaches me in his chapter called the doctor's opinion that I am afflicted with a physical difference and a mental difference. And he says to me, I have been eating because I like the effect produced by food. He doesn't say you're eating because you like the taste of Twix bars or you like the taste of snow caps and raisin gnats and all this other chazarai. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say you eat because you like the taste of candy. No, 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 no. You know, I didn't even taste it most of the time. I shoved it in my mouth so fast and I went through it like, like cracked through a goose. It went through me so fast, so instantly so automatically that honest to God, I don't think I tasted it most of the time. You know what I did? I smelled it. And I think a lot of it was the smell, but what I was doing when I was eating that stuff is I was creating an effect. And what is the effect? It's that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food. I ate the food and my whole reality changed but what else happened see if all that was wrong with me was a mental twist i would carry around a little fanny pack i carry around a little fanny pack those are out of style now i think so let's i would just carry it around in my pocket because fanny packs i think are out of out of style and what i would put in there is m&ms with peanuts Obviously these are not Jewish people that buy the ones without the peanuts. Why would I buy M&Ms without the peanuts and say, and have the same price and I could get for the same nickel. You can tell how old I am, a nickel. Why would I spend the same nickel for no peanuts as I would with peanuts? Doesn't make any sense to me. So the bottom line is I would carry M&Ms around because they melt in your mouth, not in your hands. I would carry M&Ms around And I would pop them in my mouth when I got scared and I would pop them in my mouth when I got angry and I would pop them in my mouth when you didn't stick to my script and I'd be fine. They'd be like little medicine pills or something. Right. But that's just half my problem. The other half is the physical allergy. What does Dr. Silkworth teach me? He says that any description of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. So I have to be honest. Now I'm back in chapter five. I have to be honest with myself that I have both of these conditions. In the chapter three, more about alcoholism, I'm taught more about my condition. I'm taught that the situation is permanent, progressive, and fatal. That was illustrated for me in Bill's story. In the first eight pages of Bill's story, in every single paragraph, Bill's disease is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. worse. Do I relate to Bill's story right down the line? Liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. Do I relate to that? Bet your life I do. Bet your life I do. So in chapter three, I'm taught once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I'm also taught that abstinence is not the most important thing in my life, that abstinence doesn't treat this disease. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking He made up his mind that until he was successful in business, he wouldn't touch another drop. He remained bone dry for 25 years, 25 years. This clown didn't take a drink. Out came the carpet slippers in a bottle and he was dead within four years. Do I relate to the permanent progressive and fatal nature of this disease? you bet i do i have a friend who lives in tulsa oklahoma and he talks about the three p's he says permanent progressive and fatal he's a funny he's funny if you ever hear him you'll you'll roll on the floor he's a comedian he says permanent progressive and fatal but the point is not whether it's fatal or fatal is not the point the point is Do I relate to that? Do I I know that I'm in that scenario? God, you bet I do. So if I'm not honest about that stuff, now I have no starting point. I have no starting point. We agnostics. I need a spiritual awakening or I'm not gonna recover. And I have to ask myself this every day. Do you believe or are you willing to even willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself? Wow, I was just in Chicago last weekend. And, you know, I forget how beautiful Illinois can be. The colors of the leaves in northern Illinois were astounding. Just a ast- You don't get that in Arizona. So you forget. I forget. I forget how beautiful it is there. You know, I, I don't I don't rave about Illinois. It's not a very beautiful state. It's not a very and there's not much there If, if you're not doing something like downtown chicago there's not there's not a lot there. There's some beauty along the Fox river. There's some beauty along the chain of lakes, but the most spectacular thing in Illinois is Lake Michigan. Obviously that's our crown jewel. We are the crown jewel of the Midwest. That's another name for Chicago, the crown jewel of the Midwest. But the the crown jewel of the crown jewel is the lady, Lady Lake Michigan. That's That's our pride and joy is the lake. But when you go to Chicago, and you're there in October, be prepared to have your socks knocked off. Make sure your socks are glued on, because as you travel in the more rural areas, as I deliberately did in my rent-a-car, just to go and see the leaves, it's unbelievable, unbelievably beautiful. But anyway, getting back to this, It says their chances are less than average. I don't want less than average chances. I need every chance I can get because I'm a fatal case of this. I Hold on. I have a fatal case of compulsive overeating. And I am not able to do this on my own. A man of 30 was bone dry for 25 years. He was dead within four. Did his 25 years of sobriety cure him? No. Did it treat the disease? No. The only thing that treats this disease, the only thing is a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening. That's the only thing we have. End of chapter three, once again, once more, The only remedy we have is a spiritual awakening. We have an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. I've never had a spiritual experience that's sudden, profound. I had a spiritual awakening, which is slower. But if I understand what they're telling me in this book, then I know that I am one of these hopeless alcoholics. I'm a hopeless, compulsive overeater. And if I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety, I need to do whatever it is they're telling me to do and do it now and do it with a hundred percent, a hundred percent effort. Notice I didn't say a hundred percent perfection. Notice I didn't say with a hundred percent accuracy. The only step I have to work perfectly is one, paso prima. Step one in Italian, passo prima, step one. That's the only step I have to work perfectly. The rest of them, not as perfect. Their chances are less than average. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. There are people here that may have mental health issues. Bill did. Bill suffered from depression and anxiety his entire life. And he got outside help for those things. He went to psychiatrists. His psychiatrist at one time was Harry Tebow, And Harry Tebow was on the board. He was a non-alcoholic on the alcoholic board. And Bill got outside help his entire life for his depression. And for his anxiety. Very important. If you need outside help, but for the love of God, go get it. Don't wait. We are, we are not a cure all for anything you may have that's outside the scope of your food addiction or your alcoholism. We are not. When I needed my hips replaced and my knees replaced, I didn't go to a meeting and lay on the table and say, okay, guys, pray over me. I went to an orthopedic surgeon when I have a problem with my, uh, I have a a condition called gastritis. When I have a gastritis uh, attack, which I haven't had for years, because I eat right, I drink right, I do everything like I'm supposed to. But when I had gastritis attacks, I didn't go to a meeting, I went to a doctor. And I said, I need some help here. So if you have a situation or a condition that requires outside help for the love of God, go get it. We are not here to to discount the value of these psychiatrists, psychologists, and therapists and clergy people and whatever it is you need, go get it, go get it. But we have to have the capacity to be honest. Again, honest about what? Honest about the fact that I am a compulsive overeater. I'm different from them. I'm the same as you. I'm not different from you and the same as them. I'm different from them and the same as you. I am not a, a normal eater. I will never be a normal eater, even though, in the condition that I'm in, I eat rather normally. You want me to say that again? Because it can confuse you. I am not a normal eater. I never will be a normal eater, even though at the present time, under the current conditions, I eat normally. I am not a normal eater. Do you ever watch how much they eat or how little they eat? Really? Do you ever watch it? most of us would jump out the window. They take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and they're fine. You know, this is a scenario I've described in here a hundred thousand million times. I've watched parents split a McDonald's hamburger in half with their hands and they give one half to one sibling and one half to the other sibling. Neither one can finish half a hamburger. That's not me. And it never will be me. I am not that person. I am not that person. So the bottom line is we are different from them and the same as the people here. Very, very important. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. Let's take a look at that again. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like. In other words, what were we like in the food? What were we like when we were drinking alcohol? What happened to wake us up and what we are like now? This is the influence of William James. William James wrote one of the books. There's four books that greatly influenced the big book of A.A., the four books, and please do not text me that I'm going outside the traditions. I am not. Please do not email me that I shouldn't mention these books. I'm going to continue mentioning them. I'm going to mention them till I die. So I don't know what else to tell you. These are the books that were very influential, and please don't get in touch with the Los Angeles Intergroup or New Mexico or what, please don't. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you this is not a violation of tradition, so please do not do that again. Okay, these are the four books that framed the big book. The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James in which he takes lectures at the University of Glasgow in Scotland by psychologists. And he comprises a book in 1902, publishes it in 1903 of many, many people, psychologists, I'm sorry, people who had a terrible condition Then something horrible happened to them. They didn't have a terrible condition. I'm sorry. Something terrible happened to them. That's what I meant to say. Something horrible happened to them. And because of that, they found God. Does that sound like our stories? What did you used to be like? What happened? And what are you like now? This comes from William James. The other three books are the Book of James, New Testament. The other one is the Sermon on the Mount. And the other one is by Richard Peabody. It's called The Common Sense of Drinking. Sermon on the Mount, I'm sorry, by Emmett Fox. I forgot to mention Emmett Fox. I am not violating the traditions here. Please don't email me and please don't text me and please don't call me complaining about it. these are the books, this is our, this is who we are, this is where we come from. So please don't waste our time on that, okay. It, now I'm gonna this this last sentence is where we're gonna stop here and where we're gonna start next week. If you have decided you want what we have, what is it that we have? Now a lot of you might say, "Well, you're not compulsively overeating." There's people at Dunkin' Donuts right now. There's people at at McDonald's that are not compulsively overeating. They're in Dunkin' Donuts. They're gonna split a donut with their date or their friend, they're gonna split a donut, maybe two, and they're gonna have a cup of coffee and they're gonna go on with their day. They're not hurting themselves even though they're at Dunkin' Donuts. If you want what we have, what is it that we have? We have a bunch of compulsive overeaters who are not compulsively overeating and they are happy in their release. I hope that you will come to the OA birthday, January 13th, 14th and 15th in Los Angeles, California. And if you come there, you will see two people standing in the lobby of the hotel. One of them is from New York and he's a very big guy. And the other one is a lady from Colorado. And she is one of the most beautiful ladies I've ever seen. Love her to death, love him to death too. And they're going to stand in the lobby of that hotel about 630 in the morning, gathering people up to go to the beach in Santa Monica and they're going to go out to the beach and they're going to do step 11 on the beach and they're going to pray and they're going to share and they're all going to come back and they're going to say oh my god what a miracle the sun came up over santa monica and we did this and that's fine that's great that's fantastic i'm all for that they love that that i, I wouldn't take it away from them that's one of the reasons we're there and that gentleman will be on a meeting that i'm going to go to tonight and that lady is in Colorado right now at an at a convention but the real miracle also I'm not discounting them I'm just saying also there are people in the lobby of that hotel at the LAX Hilton and in the rooms of that hotel and in the classrooms of that hotel that are compulsive overeaters they're not compulsively overeating And they are happy in their release. And a miracle is defined as something with which there is no scientific or logical explanation. And when a compulsive overeater is not eating compulsively and they are happy in their release, that is a miracle because there is no logical or scientific explanation for someone who's addicted to something, not using their addiction to get comfort. So they're all miracles and they're all beautiful. If you want what we have and you are willing to go to any length to get it, is there anything else you don't, you wanna tell me that you're not going to do? Yesterday without naming Names or getting too specific. We had a question on vision from somebody who wanted to know what they're going to do because they're very busy at work. (sighs) A little busy, are you? Okay. I don't know what to tell you, but I can hear my sponsor yelling and screaming at me. You're a little busy, are you? Well, you weren't too busy to eat. You better not be too busy to recover. You're not too busy to get that Twinkie. You're not too busy to go by the break room and celebrate a birthday that you care nothing about, but you're looking to steal a piece of cake and some ice cream. You better not be too busy to recover. Then you are ready to take certain steps. Then you're ready to take certain steps. Do you want this with everything you have? Are you willing to go to any length to get this? don't you dare tell yourself what you're not willing to do and think that you're going to recover it's not going to happen you're either in or you're out because we're talking about life and death you have a fatal illness i have a fatal illness if i had cancer would i tell them you know just give me just give me the uh the half the half treatment on the chemo just give me the half treatment on the uh, on the radiation just give me the half you know i'm just I, I don't have a lot of time i'm a i'm a busy guy i got to go meet this one i got to go over here i got to do this i got to do that so you know when it comes to cancer just just give me a little little homage to some recovery here maybe a few meds cut back on others and let's just see where it is no This disease will ravage you. This disease will choke the life out of you. This disease does not know what it's like to have Rachmanis on you. What is Rachmanis? It's a Yiddish word for mercy. It's the Yiddish word for mercy. This disease hasn't got Rachmanis on anybody it doesn't know from Rachmanis. So the bottom line, before I turn this over, we're gonna start with that next year, next year, next week, sorry, next week. We're gonna start with page 58 and we're gonna start with if you want, if you've decided, have decided. Okay, before I turn this over, I wanna make a few points. Number one, please register for the birthday. It's at oabirthday.com. What could be easier? What could be easier than oabirthday.com? There is a link on there to register for your hotel room at the LAX Hilton. There is a link on there so you can volunteer to do service. They need help with registration. They need help with selling literature. They need help with putting things up, taking things down. There is a clothing exchange. They always need help at the clothing exchange. There's a little room that they set up where they buy clothes. Like a lot of us are hard to fit. So they'll have a bunch of odd sizes in there. They need help with that. They need help with timers. They need help with moderators. Give of yourself and you will find that you will be much, much happier. But register for the OA birthday. Also on the 9th, 10th and 11th of December, I will be in uh, White Plains, New York. Westchester County, New York. I'm going to be doing a weekend big book seminar. and there is someone smarter than me that is going to put registration information to that seminar in the chat. You guys will have a speaker that week rather than me, and we will we will do that. But the bottom line is I'm hoping to see as many of you at the birthday as we can. And I hope that we will see some of you in White Plains, New York. That would be awesome to see you at both. That would be fantastic. Um, If you asked a question last week, please step back because we were together last week. So please, if you asked a question last week, step back and let newcomers, let people who have not asked a question last week come forward so that we can get their questions first. I recommend highly tonight. I know a lot of you are going to be watching college football. Yes, USC still sucks, no question. But a lot of you are going to be watching Oregon versus UCLA and UCLA still sucks too. But the bottom line is there's Roz and she's giving me the thumbs down, but she really wants to give me yet another finger. I know that, but she's a lady, so she won't. But the bottom line is is that um, UCLA does indeed still suck as well. So we're gonna beat them, hopefully. Um, but I know you, but the family afterward tonight at eight o'clock, Eastern time, the family afterward, a speaker will be wonderful. So be there or be square. If you asked a question last week, please step back. Let other people come to the front. No math and no food. No math, no food. Okay, with that, I'll turn it back to Maria or I will turn it back to Audrey because I or Sue or Nancy. I have no idea or somebody. Exactly. We're going to I stop don't the
0: recording. Okay.